platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Financial cooperation stands as a vital component of the Belt and Road Initiative after a decade of development. This financial collaboration has not only facilitated economic development, but also in poverty alleviation. BRI enters the second decade. How we can integrate, address the global big challenges. As the world grapples with economic downturns, how can BRI financial cooperation bolster global economic resilience and profitability? Indeed, it has a greater potential to improve the uh, profitability and long-term financial sustainability. How will BRI Finance strive to ensure the long-term sustainability of green finance and promote ongoing technological and innovative advancements? And we're also happy to see China's uh, investment already from the traditional coal to the uh, renewable energy. Join us in exploring how financial cooperation drives economic development and fosters prosperity among BRI nations and their people. Only on BizTalk. Only on CGTN. And welcome everyone to BizTalk. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Our topic today, financial cooperation in the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, financial connectivity is one of the BRI's five major priorities. So for more on this, I want to bring in Dr. Zhao Yang, who is Managing Director at China International Capital Corporation's Global Institute, as well as Professor Gu Qingyang from the Li Kuan Yu School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. So Dr. Zhao, Professor Gu, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Uh, Dr. Zhao, I want to start with you. This year, of course, marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. Financial connectivity, such an important component of the BRI. Why Walk us through, take stock for us, what have been the major achievements of financial integration and financial connectivity in the past 10 years, Dr. Zhao? Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me here. Uh, talking about the Belt and Road Initiative financial cooperation achievements, it has done a lot actually, over the past decade, primarily driven by policy financial institutions and the state-owned banks. Belt and Road Finance has successfully channeled funds predominantly through bank loans into developing countries in Southeast Asia, Central Asia, Africa, and Latin America, especially in the area of infrastructure. So this financial co collaboration has not only facilitated economic development in participating countries, but also has played a pivotal role in poverty alleviation. After the 2008 financial crisis, Bank loans from China provide a crucial support to governments of developing countries worldwide, helping them navigate the uh, repercussion re uh, of the financial crisis, promoting global economic growth. The terms of these loans have been uh, favorable to the recipient countries, matching the benevolence of multilateral institutions like the World Bank, uh, with lower interest rates and uh, longer grace period, more beneficial to uh, debt countries, uh, their funding from other mechanism, uh, international uh, creditors. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So furthermore, actually, uh, enhanced in the financial uh, connectivity among bad and rural countries have been uh, 
evident in the capital markets also. In recent years, we've seen the introduction of belt and road labor bonds, uh, the issuance of panda bonds and dinsum bonds by some participating countries. The Chinese private equity firms uh, also setting up uh, belt and road initiative special funds or investing in uh, companies from better road countries and Chinese security firms helping better road initiative companies achieve listing in Hong Kong stock market. Uh, so we have done a lot actually. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Zhao, we're going to come back to the capital markets in just a second, but Professor Gu, I want to get your take in terms of how increased financial connectivity along the Belt and Road countries is really driving socioeconomic development in BNR countries, because I feel finance, look, this is a means to an end. We're not talking about financial connectivity just for the sake of financial connectivity, right? It needs to serve the real economy. It needs to improve living standards and really boost the local living conditions of Belt and Road nations. What do you think, Professor Gu? Yeah, I think I agree with Dr. Zhao regarding the overall effect of BRI for contribute, uh, contributing to the world development. I think uh, especially for the participant countries, uh, BRI uh, change a lot. I think uh, the biggest uh, contribution for BRI is a BRI uh, start a uh, very different economic development model. So in the past, I think uh, many countries rely on the so-called economic globalization. In the past, this was led by the American and other Western countries. That kind of uh, uh, globalization is actually a vertical circulation. Means, uh, so the global north means uh, uh, advanced country. They have an advantage in the global south. Relatively, they have a, they don't have a, a, a advantage. So in that time, uh, so the poor country in the global south normally to you know producing something and uh, sell the product to the north uh, part of a country. So this is a vertical circulation. But right now, the BRI started a very different uh, circulation uh, uh, dimension or direction. Now it's a, a horizontal from the west to the uh, to the east. So this is a developing country to another developing country. So this kind of a, a new dimension of uh, globalization is a very big contribution to the uh, participant countries. For example, for the poverty reduction and for the uh, for the uh, uh, industrial upgrading and also create job. Uh, I think uh, uh, infrastructure uh, project is more inclusive compared with the in the past because in the past the, the globalization is mostly dominated by the uh, you know bankers by the uh, uh, capital owners. Right now the uh, infrastructure can benefit uh, ordinary workers. They have a job. Their income increased. So this is a very important contribution to the. Uh, global thoughts, especially the participant countries. Yeah. Dr. Zhao, I want to come back to you because CICC notes that BRI financing, it, it occupies a very distinct space because it's not just pure development finance and it's not pure commercial finance. It lies somewhere in between. So elaborate on that uh, for our audience a little bit more in terms of this uniqueness. Well, I just hit a very important question. 
development finance primarily uh, aimed to support social and economic progress in developing countries. So often prioritizing social economic objectives over profits. On the other hand, the commercial finance seeks to achieve profitability and the return on investment in line with what the market requires. So BRI finance, uh, combining elements of the both, uh, exemplifies a blend of national development uh, aspiration with market logic. BRI finance also recognizes the vital role of market mechanism, which is crucial to the sustainability, sustainability of projects. This is very important. These contracts with traditional uh, international aid programs, which depend on free or low-cost funds and can uh, that could hamper a, a nation's market dynamics. Excessive aid may also uh, have crowding out effects, reducing uh, domestic private sector's investment. So BRI finance emphasizes market-oriented financing operations, but compared with uh, financial aid, it has a greater potential to improve the uh, profitability and long-term financial sustainability of relevant projects. Therefore, BRI finance approach offers a balanced and more sustainable solution. Trade and investment between China and Belt and Road countries have witnessed significant growth since the inception of the initiative. Over time, China has evolved into a key trading partner for BRI nations, driven by its investments, trade activities, and innovative partnerships. Data from the World Bank reveals that between 2013 and 2022, the combined import and export volume of China and other BRI countries amounted to 19.1 trillion U.S. dollars, with an average annual growth rate of 6.4%. Additionally, based on UN Comtrade statistics, in 2021, China was the largest trading partner of 35 Belt and Road countries, underscoring its pivotal role in the region's economic landscape. I want to come back to the issue of finance, Dr. Zhao, and get your take in terms of what you think stronger financial connectivity means for improving the technology aspect of finance and banking in Belt and Road countries. Do you think it can boost perhaps the fintech abilities of BNR countries? Well, certainly. Uh, many of the Belt and Road countries are less developed economic. Uh, economies and often face challenges like a shortage of high-quality financial institutions. So this creates the financing gap for small companies, most of which are startup companies. Uh, for China, however, uh, we have uh, made significant progress in fintech. Uh, so China can provide these countries with, uh, I mean, provide. Uh, Belt and Road countries with the knowledge and expertise to bridge this financing gap. Belt and Road nations can benefit from the experience, uh, experience uh, that China has accumulated in this area. With the integration of big data, fintech companies can uh, complement traditional banking, uh, especially uh, benefiting small companies which might be uh, sidelined by conventional banks due to higher risks of lacking of uh, collateral. For instance, according to data from uh, one China's leading virtual bank, 
my bank in 2017, about 99.8% of its loan borrowers were small enterprises. So about half of these uh, small uh, enterprises are located in third and fourth tier cities. This just showcases the potential of fintech in region underdeveloped uh, population, Michael. Mm. And stronger fintech connectivity, I think, and stronger fintech capabilities can definitely boost trade along Belt and Road countries as well. Uh, Professor Gu, Dr. Zhao mentioned small and medium-sized enterprises. How important do you think is a stronger connectivity for really unleashing the potential of SMEs to do business along the Belt and Road? In the past, the SMEs uh, uh, was a very struggle to access traditional financial services. So right now, with the uh, uh, develop, rapid development of uh, fintech, so they can access uh, uh, the new resources by, by using, for example, mobile banking, digital payment platform, and online lending, many, many the new fintech solution uh, uh, tools. So this will provide a very good uh, bridge uh, between the uh, you know, the new way of financing and also traditional uh, way of uh, financing for the uh, SMEs. And uh, another way, I think uh, for SMEs uh, in the past, it's very difficult for them to participate in the global uh, investment and also global trade. The reason is uh, logistic cost is very high for them. Now the BRI significantly lower the logistic cost and also transportation cost. So this can make SMEs relatively easier to access international market and international trade. So this is good news for them to develop. Professor, I want to stick with you because we live in, in an extremely uncertain economic environment right now. How do you see the BRI and stronger financial connectivity uh, along the routes really sort of enhancing economic resilience? I think the current challenge of our world is, uh, I think, from two aspects. One is a geopolitical conflict. So we can see, uh, unfortunately, we, we see some uh, decoupling and also supply chains uh, disruption. Another one is uh, economic slowdown, especially after the COVID-19 and uh, also due to the high uh, uh, you know, inflation rate in the world and also very strong US dollar. So I think the current world, biggest issue is how to maintain our economic resilience. Uh, BRI's contribution, I, I, I can highlight that from this uh, following aspect. The first one is uh, by st- strengthening global supply chain uh, to, uh, by this way, uh, because the uh, infrastructure can, can be uh, strengthening global supply chain. And uh, also by improving transportation and the logistic network, it also can be for this country to access the critical inputs, uh, raw materials, and also diversify their supply uh, resources. So this kind of develop, uh, infrastructure development very critical for many countries to be resilient in the uh, economic downturn uh, uh, situation.
Dr. Zhao, I want to come to you because uh, Professor Gu talked about the issue of inflation, and that has, of course, uh, prompted many of the central banks in the advanced economies to really hike interest rates at quite a fast pace, and that's led to, like Professor Gu was talking about, a stronger U.S. dollar relative to many currencies around the world. In this kind of environment, then, with such high U.S. dollar funding costs, do you expect more Belt and Road companies to perhaps raise funding here in the China market? Uh, yes, I, I do anticipate more companies in Belt and Road countries to seek funding uh, in China's capital market. I mean, from financial uh, cycle perspective, the prior, the most important constraints for foreign entities raising capital in China were largely due to funding costs and valuation. However, the ongoing changes in the financial environment around the world may encourage foreign entities in need of funding to refocus their attention on the Chinese market. Starting last year, domestic interest uh, in China began to fall uh, against the backup, uh, uh, backdrop that the U.S. Treasury is hiking rate. So that makes panda bonds more attractive and eye-catching, I believe. Mm. Panda bonds, of course, foreign companies raising capital here uh, in the Chinese mainland market. Uh, Dr. Zhao, I want to stick with you. Do you think then China can provide that long-term and stable funding for button road countries in their projects? Yes. Uh, I mean, given the interest rate levels and the landscape of uh, investment opportunities, the demand for Chinese funds to invest abroad is likely to be long-term in nature. Currently, uh, Chinese institutions in offshore markets are starting to look at investment opportunities in dollar-denominated dom bonds from Belt and Road countries, such as uh, those from the uh, Middle East and the Southeast Asia. Uh, these shifts represent the increasing desire to domestic capital to expand and invest in better and road countries with a focus to uh, pursuing long-term investment return. Also, uh, the private equity and venture capital and other equity-based uh, investment with uh, higher risk tolerance and longer time horizon may also uh, become an important uh, sources of funding for companies that are still in uh, early business stages in debt and road countries. Mm. So, uh, I, I do believe that China can uh, position uh, to provide long-term and stable funding support for better nations. Mm. Michael. The BRI has continued to flourish over the past decade with its investment and financing methods consistently embracing innovation. China, in particular, introduced financial products such as Panda Bonds, offering international borrowers a pathway to access renminbi investors. Furthermore, the integration of green financing has become a vital component of the BRI. Through initiatives such as green bonds, an environment has been cultivated conducive to attracting green BRI investments. I want to turn our conversation to green development, Professor Gu. How do you see perhaps the BRI and stronger financial connectivity really spurring more green finance? Because, look, clean energy, green energy, renewable, these are major components of the BRI right now. So how do you see stronger financial uh, connectivity perhaps supporting green finance in BNR countries? Yeah, I fully agree with you. The BRI right now already uh, have a lot of uh, 
uh, green uh, development plan. This is quite different with the first stage. The second stage of BRI in the uh, over the past uh, uh, ten years. So BRI emphasizes very much on the green development. So align with the global development plans such as um, United Nations uh, 2030 agenda for sustainable development. So uh, and uh, so uh, this so-called green BRI focus on uh, promoting global green and also sustainable uh, development, particularly in terms of uh, uh, developing more green finance. So this kind of uh, change aims to not only provide the funding for infrastructure, in the past mostly focus on infrastructure, but also uh, for targeting more uh, green industries. So this kind of a change uh, will gradually drive global industry green uh, transfer, uh, transformation and also development. And I think another very important uh, initiative is uh, China uh, signed a lot of uh, uh, green development uh, uh, plan, for example, Belt and Road Green Investment uh, Principles in 2017. And uh, this kind of uh, uh, principles already recognized by many, many countries. So this is so-called uh, low carbon and sustainable development uh, uh, objective uh, incorporated this kind of uh, uh, goals in the uh, development. And uh, we also happy to see China's uh, investment already from the traditional coal to the renew uh, renewable energy. And uh, China's uh, investment in the uh, renewable energy already exceed co-investment in, uh, I think, two years ago or three years ago. So this is a uh, very important improvement. CICC believes that the scale of BNR capital markets may increase at a relatively fast pace in the next five to ten years. And I wanted to maybe lay out for our audience, how do you envision that to happen? Uh, well, uh, currently, due to the fact that China's capital accounts are not fully liberalized, so China's secondary market cross-border capital flows are not as dynamic as outbound direct investment activities toward the Belt and Road nations. So uh, therefore, the ODI actually accounts the biggest share of China's investment in uh, Belt and Road countries. And the ODI can offer uh, valuable insights for capital market development. Uh, it can also help assist the domestic capital to better expand internationally. Uh, at the same time, ODI also help Belt and Road countries better understand China's capital market and uh, financial capacities. So based on the foundation of mutual capital flows, I mean, um, mostly under the ODI mechanism, the development of Belt and Road capital market will accelerate in the next five to 10 years, I believe, driven mainly by the capital uh, demands of Belt and Road countries, the further opening of China's financial account, and the related policy support from both, uh, both China and Belt and Road countries. And finally, Dr. Uh, Gu, Professor Gu, I want to come to you in terms of getting your outlook as we embark on the second decade of the Belt and Road Initiative. What is your outlook for increased financial cooperation along the Belt and Road Initiative countries? I think uh, uh, 
uh, for BRI enters the second decade. So uh, some uh, very important issue to be uh, addressed. The first one I think is regarding how we can integrate the BRI's uh, building project into uh, uh, to address the global uh, global big challenges. Now our world we we are facing a serious challenges. For example, poverty reduction, global financial system uh, stability, and also uh, industrial upgrading, and also high level. Uh, urbanization. This is a very, very important issue for many countries, especially for developing countries. So I'm thinking about how BRI in the second decade can help to solve this kind of a, a global big challenges. So another issue I think is uh, how to establish a, a financial mechanism. It's not just for putting money. Also, uh, we need to establish uh, uh, a good financial uh, system and also regulation system. And uh, I, I think this kind of a, a software uh, uh, building is uh, extremely important. We need hardware or we also have software also very important. So uh, another issue I think uh, is regarding how we can uh, broad our financial resources and especially uh, overcoming uh, geopolitical challenges. Well, overall, a lot of growth potential when it comes to further financial cooperation along the Belt and Road countries, and certainly we are looking forward to how stronger financial connectivity can really improve the living standards, uh, serve the real economy, and serve the development of all countries uh, along the Belt and Road Initiative. We're going to have to leave it there. Professor Gu, thank you so much for your insights. Professor Gu Chenyang from the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. And our thanks, of course, to Dr. Zhao Yang, who is Managing Director of CICC's Global Institute. Thank you to you both. And I'm Michael Wong here in CGTN's Beijing headquarters. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of This Talk. From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms.